two weeks ago, we talked about Matthew, the tax collector, and the, the fact that he was a sinner and Jesus saw him. And when Matthew looked into his eyes, it changed his life forever. Because he thought that he knew love and security and money, but when he looked at Jesus, everything changed. Uh, So this week, we're going to talk about the Samaritan woman and how Jesus engaged her and led her to an encounter uh, with God. Let's start with prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you that you are here with us, Lord. And I just pray that every single one of us uh, would be um, encouraged by Uh, your words, Lord, by your stories, Lord, by the things that you did on this earth, Lord, and that we can know that we, you told us that we could do greater things than you, Lord. So we ask that you would um, empower us this morning, Lord, that uh, we would see uh, more of the call that you have on every single one of us, Lord, a call that says to go into the world, to make disciples, uh, to, to tell people about you, to be a light on the hill, Jesus. So I pray that that would be who we are, that, that we would be all about that, Lord, that we wouldn't live based off of Christian, com- that we would live based off of Christian convictions and not cultural contentment, Jesus. And we would seek you out, Lord, and that we would walk in the steps that you've walked and that we would be more like you this morning. So we ask these things in your name. And everyone said, Amen. Uh, amen. When I was younger, I, I loved telling people of, about Jesus and finding new ways to, to share Jesus. And not that I don't do that now. Like when I was younger, I like to do it, but I don't like to do that anymore. But, um, but when I was like 19, it was a little bit different. There's, I was a little bit more extreme. I had tons of time on my hand. I basically had no responsibilities as a teenager who just got out of high school. And I um, had gone to college for a year. And then I went down to do this internship at a church for two years called Master's Commission. And it was great. I, every single day, six days out of the week, and I had one day to be at home and for my Sabbath. But for two years, I, every single day, I learned about God, I memorized scripture, I prayed, and I engaged in ministry. So this was this amazing season of time, but it was a season, and, and seasons do come to an end, and they transform into different seasons, and God has different things for us. But during this season, I actually got together with another guy who was in the same program, and we made this pact. Now, I, I had these crazy ideas. Like, when I was in college my first year, I almost went to Israel for a year, lived in youth hostels, and just walked around just because I was like this crazy idea. The only reason I didn't do it is because the guy that was going to go with me, uh, chickened out. And so we, we didn't end up doing it, but I had these like big ideas of, yeah, let's go to Israel and we'll grow beards out, which I can't really do, but I try. And, um, but we had this pact. And so we made this deal that we wouldn't eat lunch every day for the entire year until we prayed with somebody that we didn't know and introduced them to the Lord. So that, that was the deal. We, we would go down to downtown Olympia and we'd hang out at this bus hub uh, where people would sort of gather and wait for the buses. So captive audience, they can't go anywhere or else they miss their bus. It was great. And so I had this whole script ready to go. And so um, I was going to tell somebody about Jesus. I was going to tell them why he's real, why he could change their lives and why they needed him in their lives. And they weren't getting on that bus until they heard about Jesus and they wanted to be prayed for. So that was the deal. And so we're down there the first day and I picked this older gentleman who looked like he probably hasn't um, 
washed or had a bath in a, in a couple of days. And, and so we're looking and I was like, okay, here we go. And my heart's pounding because I haven't done this yet. And I'd done it a little bit in high school, but it'd been a while. And so I go up to him and, and, and I say hi. And um, he doesn't really say hi yet back. He just nods. And, and I go straight in five minutes without a breath on who Jesus is, how he loves him and how he, this guy needs him in his life. And, and I end and I've got this big climatic um, ending. And I go, would you like for us to pray with you about Jesus? And he looks at me with this sort of like perplexed look in his eyes. And he looks down. And I'm like, this guy is go- about to meet Jesus. It's going to be awesome. And he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out 75 cents because he thought I was asking for the bus fare and he didn't speak English. So I was like, oh man, this, <laughs> I just didn't even know. And so, but we ended up praying for him and we prayed for lots of people and had other interesting uh situations the guy who od'd right in front of me and threw up all over my shoes and i was able to lead him to to jesus as the the ambulance was coming to bring him to the hospital um but the truth is that everybody needs an encounter with jesus and i pray that and i I don't just say this i truly want to see this happen that every single person in jesus church would lead somebody to an encounter with god this year and so looking at this, this story of Jesus and how he led this woman to encounter, it's interesting because it wasn't an easy situation. This uh, wasn't someone who was super willing to listen. Uh, she definitely had a ton of guards up in her life. But this, in, in this encounter, we see specific things that the enemy tried to push in her life that made her want to avoid meeting Jesus. But then we see how Jesus went around all those things and conquered every single objection that she had that the enemy was trying to influence her into, um, into doing so that Jesus could have this relationship. And I believe that every single one of us can follow in the same steps that Jesus did in leading somebody into an encounter with him. So he starts with Jesus is engaging and she automatically starts to argue. Uh, it begins with an argument, and this is exactly what the enemy would love to do to every single one of us. And a lot of times, you might think it's the person arguing, but there is a spiritual realm, and there are demonic forces that will do whatever they can to stop anybody from reaching an encounter with Jesus. And so, a lot of times, it starts with this idea of an argument or a manifestation of an argument. And, and Jesus, if you look at the story, he's never actually drawn into an argument with this woman. The enemy, time and time again, will try several different arguments. Um, and when one doesn't work, it goes to another type of argument. But Jesus never argues with Satan. Remember the story of the temptation in the desert. Satan says, if you are the son of God... They make these, uh, these rocks turn into bread. He tries to start an argument with Jesus, but Jesus won't engage. He never engages with him. All Jesus says is, it is written, it is written, it is written. He never argues. And so in verse 9, we see it says, Then the woman from Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Basically, what this woman is saying is, you don't know me. You don't have any reason to talk into my life. You don't know what I've gone through. You don't know the cultural um, oppression that I've gone through in my life. And you're a Jew, and you think that you can talk to me? 
You think that this is a situation that makes any sense? And not only that, but then she goes in to say, I'm a woman on top of that. So there's all these different barriers that she's arguing is a reason that she can't encounter Jesus on the, in this tri- in, at this place, at this well. And she's not saying this with her head down in a lowly way. In a lowly way. She's speaking the independent, well-spoken woman who's got, had five husbands. But Jesus, he never addresses it. Why? Because I believe he doesn't address it because race is a man-made barrier, not a God-made one. He doesn't, he doesn't deal with things that we put, uh, barriers that we put in front of us. He, he doesn't even acknowledge those. And I don't think any of us should ever allow race, culture, social status, or gender. It should never allow us to be stopped from ministering to somebody and leading them to Jesus. You can meet anybody and lead them to an encounter with Jesus because that is a soul who desperately needs to find God. Just like all of us do, because we are all created in the image of God. Now, when that doesn't work out, uh, she changes, shifts into something else, and she goes into, into reason. And it's not that we aren't supposed to have logic or be reasonable, but in verse 11, she says, it says, The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Now, this is a reasonable uh, question to ask. I mean, it's understandable. How in the world are you going to get all the way down there? You don't have anything to reach down there with. Um, Jesus is trying to speak to her on a spiritual level, but she's trying to take it back and argue from a practical level. There's been so many times when I've been talking to somebody about Jesus and I'm trying to minister to their spiritual needs and the enemy will take that argument to a very practical thing. What about the situations that I think were bad in my life? What about evolution? What about sickness? What about famine? What about bad things that happen to good people? And so the conversation where it should be a spiritual one, the enemy will try and turn it into a very practical conversation. And you know what? It's, it's okay to say, I don't know. I don't know about your situation or what you've gone through or, or these practical questions that you think to ha- that you have. But spiritually, I know that Jesus changed my life. I know that when I encountered Jesus, that everything became different. And if you've encountered Jesus, then you are qualified to be a witness for what he's done in your life and what he can do in anyone else's life. You don't need to have all the answers to introduce somebody to Jesus. And, and a lot of times we think, well, if I don't know the answer to, to evolution or, or to this problem or that problem, then I, shouldn't, I should just back off because I'll give Christianity a bad name. No, all you need to know is that you had an encounter with Jesus. Just like Matthew, we see he has this encounter with Jesus. He doesn't wait and go to a theological school so that he can go to his friends and say, I had an encounter with Jesus and now you should too. No, he goes straight to them and says, I'm just going to throw a party because I don't know what else to do, but I I know these people need Jesus. And I think we need to be the same way where we just are, are, we know that people physically and practically, they might have things that we can't answer, but spiritually, every single one of us have the answer that they need. And somewhere deep down inside of them, they're longing to hear and to receive. So first it goes through um, race and then reason And then she goes to religion. Verse 20, it says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place that we ought to worship. And we'll look at the answer because Jesus does give an answer to this woman. But the point is 
Jesus still, he doesn't argue with her. He didn't try and prove his beliefs or give facts or be right. He answers, but his answer led her back to God. Because I think religion is a whole lot like race. It's a man-made barrier. Religion is man's attempt to get to God, but Jesus is God's accomplishment to get to man. And so when we hear people say, well, my religion says, it's like, yeah, I understand what your religion says. But I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when people spend time with us and they see the genuine relationship that we have, we know that they're going to, inside of their heart, their soul, something will connect with that and they will long for that same encounter. And I think so many times we just gear up for this war and, and we're thinking, okay, I'm going to get all my battle, all, all my things together so that when someone comes up to me from a different religion, I can just blast them and tell them why they're, why they're wrong and why I'm right. And then they're going to change their mind and they're going to do exactly what I think. They're th- going to think like I think. That is not how to do it. That's not how Jesus did it. There was a, a church up in Seattle when I was growing up and a pastor, he made this thing called Fight Club. And in Fight Club, what you would do was um, he would he would show up and he would invite other religious scholars from other religions to come so that he could prove them wrong. And he would bring all of his friends and they would all come around him and he would just blast these people and show them why they're wrong in the scriptures. But to me, it never accomplished anything. Maybe they left feeling better about themselves or very prideful. But they would just argue. And that is not what we see Jesus do. I think if our goal is to win people to Christ, we have to focus on leading them to an encounter. And we should stop looking at how wrong other people are and start looking at how close they are to being right. They believe in God. We believe in God. So how can we get them to go from I believe in God so I can have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. That's what we should do. I mean, heck, a lot of people even believe in Jesus. How can we get them to that place where they have an encounter that will change their lives? Because that is what changes their heart. And there's a video that um, I found, and it talks about a woman who uh, believed in God but she didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And um, she is a, a Muslim lady, and she, she, she had all of these questions. And, and her and this Christian, they go back and forth and talking about who's right and who's wrong. And, and, and they get to a point in the, in the video where she has this encounter with Jesus, and it changes everything. So go ahead and show that. I was born into a Muslim family. Um, my parents were leaders in the mosque, and I met these two Christians at my grad school. We just realized, okay, we definitely are both very strong in our faiths, but we can't both be right. We can both be wrong. Like, logically, in my mind, it's like, okay, we can both be wrong about Jesus, for sure, but we can't both be right. So we sort of resolved that we wanted to figure out what truth is. And secretly, secretly, I wanted to convert him massively. I totally wanted to convert him to Islam because anytime I would debate anybody about, you know, religion, I would always win. (laughs) And so he gave me a Bible. I gave him a Quran and we started to just sort of do our own research. And I would come with my bullet points and he would come with his. And um, truth be told, you know, since I was 
you know, uh, an American Muslim being surrounded by non-Muslims, of course, I knew exactly what I believed, why, and had all the arguments. Even though I had felt that I had succeeded in showing him that Christianity was flawed and that Islam was true, I didn't have that satisfaction. I wanted some sort of proof for the first time in my life. And so I just continued to pray, continued to pray. And, um, you know, I would fast and I would just cry out night and day to God, to Allah, the only God that I knew, to show people that he was the truth. I started to just really have a lot of torment. I just thought maybe I was going crazy for the first time. But it was like I couldn't think anymore. And especially as somebody studying to be a doctor and, you know, science background, to lose your mind is really a very low point, to say the least. So there was one day uh, where I was probably at my lowest point. I was just crying, praying to Allah and saying, I can't do this one more day. And that same day, I got a text message from my friend. He had been praying for me all along. And his church actually had been praying too, down south. And he, his pastor actually had brought, um, or had typed up bullet points from the book by Lee Strobel called The Case for Christ. And so because I was such a, at such a low point at that point, I was like, I'll read anything. Why not? It gave so much significant proof for the historicity of the cross and resurrection. And I started to read the Bible again. I was reading it as though it actually could have happened. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, this is beautiful. And then I called somebody that I knew who was a Christian. She said, why don't you just ask Jesus to come into your heart? If you're wondering and curious, you have nothing to lose. And, you know, little did she know if a Muslim asks Jesus into their heart, it's hell for eternity. No coming back. You cannot come back from that. So I just looked up at the heavens and I said, Allah, I don't know who, you're, who you are. Allah, I don't know what's real. Whoever you are, though, I want to give my life to you. If you're Jesus, you can come into my heart. The next morning I woke up and all the torment was gone. So I thought to myself, okay, logic brain, I'll just, I'm going to really give this exploration of the Gospels three or four years of my life, and I'm going to really like look into it to see if it's real. I'm going to stay a Muslim, of course. I would never leave Islam, but I just want to give this a chance. And so I just basically went to church that Sunday, and some signs had happened that week, all pointing to Jesus. And that Sunday morning, the pastor was preaching, and people were raising their hands, and I just kind of sat through it. But my heart just wanted to worship. And when the altar call came, we all bowed our heads. And the pastor just said, I feel like there's someone in here that wants to give their life to Jesus, but they don't even know what that means. And they're really scared. And I just said, enough is enough. It's taking me more faith to not believe in Jesus than to believe in him. He's my first experience with love. So amazing, yeah. You look at this story and you find somebody who went through all three of these stages. They went through reason, they went through religion, but it was encountering him that changed her life. It wasn't about proving this is right or this is wrong. She came to a place where she had to just say, Jesus. I believe that you are God. I believe in God. And Jesus, if you are God, come into my heart. And that's the encounter that we need to see. 
And we need to seek out, not arguing or trying to prove somebody else is wrong and we're right. In Titus 3, 9, it's interesting. It says, but avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentious, contentions, and striving about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Genealogies would be race, contentions would be arguments, and striving about the law is religion. It's not about arguing. It's about a mindset that we need to lead people to the love of Jesus, to the love of God. And if they believe in God, awesome. Let me show you how personal he can be in your life. And so Jesus, he, he, he doesn't argue, but he engages with this woman. And in verse 7, Jesus, when he comes up to her at the very beginning, it says, And the woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now, I understand he's thirsty, but I believe that he knew what he was doing. Because if you look at the life of Jesus, um, he wasn't somebody who went up to people and said, you serve me. In fact, Jesus said that I have come to serve, not to be served, and give my life for ransom for many. So he could have gotten his own drink. He could have gotten something to go down in the well and done it himself. But he didn't do that. Why did he not do that? Because his point wasn't a drink of water. It was to engage with a person who needed to meet him. That's the only reason that he talks to her. I believe it's because he was there to help her. He had a mentality that every single one of us have to cultivate in our lives where I'm not just doing something because I enjoy it or because I like doing that. I'm doing this because I know there might be somebody out there who needs to engage with somebody who loves Jesus. Say, well, I don't really like going to baseball games. Well, maybe you're going with somebody who loves, who needs to know how to love Jesus. And when you put yourself in those positions, you create opportunities to tell people about who Jesus is and how he's changed your life, which will lead to an encounter. When um, we were moving from Colorado Springs to Oregon before we moved down here, we sold our house. And when we sold our house, we sold everything in our house. We didn't want to take a single thing. We are beds couches, tables, kids' toys. I don't care what it was. We were not taking it with us. It was, it was going. And so I started putting things on Craigslist. And as I put things on Craigslist, um, people would start showing up. And this one guy showed up, and um, I remember he, he was coming through the house, and I was walking with him, and I was just talking with him. And I, and I was engaging in conversation with this guy, and, and as we were talking through all the stuff, and, you know, conversations happen. And so he's asking, where are you going? Well, we're going to Oregon because we're, we feel God's calling us to go there to um, help revitalize a church. Oh, well, interesting. Well, uh, tell me about that. And, and so this can't, it turned into from somebody buying a bed to me selling Jesus. And it's only because I gave opportunity to it. I could have been like, yeah, you, you go downstairs into the basement and look at everything and let me, let me know how it is. But when you give people opportunity, God can work through that. When you put yourself in a position, God will use you to bring something out that you never even had an idea. I didn't go on Craigslist and sell all this stuff because I wanted to lead people to Christ. I did it because I didn't want to bring junk to Oregon. (laughs) But I put myself in a position and was willing to look to see what God wanted to do above what I wanted to do. And he did buy some stuff, but that next Sunday he came to church and he gave his life to Jesus. And it's all because of a relationship that happened out of opportunity. 
And that's what we see in the life of Jesus. And, and it happens all the time. I, my first year living here, it was my first summer. So I was in total, complete shock. This was not cool. What was I thinking? And then I remembered all the rain and cold and awfulness in, 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 in Oregon. And I was like, okay, that's why I'm doing it. But so, so our AC goes out. Like right when we walked into our new house, like the first week of our brand new house, AC goes out. Great. This is awesome. So the, we have an HVAC guy come. And uh, he comes in, and he goes back into the back. And I did not want to follow him. <laughs> but I felt I need to give opportunity to whatever God wants to do. So I went in the back with him. And as he's working on our AC unit, I'm just talking with him. And that guy came to our church uh, that next week, and he gave his life to the Lord. Now, he doesn't go here because he lived in, like, Gilbert. And he said that was too far. But I told him, Hey, find a church where you're at. And, and I don't know where he's at today, but I know that he had an encounter with Jesus. And that's all I can do. And that's all you can do is bring ourselves to a place where we can encounter somebody and, and allow them to come to an encounter with Jesus. Now, a lot of times we think, okay, well, that's great for you, but that's not me. That's not how I am. That's not my personality. I guarantee you that you can talk to anybody at any time because I know what every single person's favorite subject is, even if I've never met you. It's you. (laughs) My favorite subject is me. If I get you talking about something in your life, your kids, your grandkids, your job, uh, who, where you grew up, your interests, your favorite terrible football team, if you're not from Seattle, uh, whatever it is, It's very easy to engage with a conversation with somebody when you ask them questions about them because eventually it will find a way to lead to an encounter with Jesus. We have to give place to that because if we never, we will never lead anyone to an encounter with Jesus if we don't take the time to engage with them and look for opportunities to tell them. We just never will. And so Jesus, he went to this place and said, give me a drink to create an opportunity. And then Jesus starts to talk. And he talked about a couple of specific things. Uh, First, he talks about life and having a better life. In verse 10, it says, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Every single person on this planet wants a better life. Every single person wants peace And they want joy. And I'm not saying that when you meet with somebody and you start talking about how your life has changed. And and, and I'm not saying everything's perfect because we know that life isn't perfect for us. And it's all um, this complete awesome situation where nothing ever goes wrong. That's not what I'm talking about. But in those situations where chaos happens, you can still have peace and you can still have joy. And when bad things happen, you don't have to worry because you have a foundation in Jesus Christ. And you've had that encounter with him. And these people, they need to have that so that they can have that same foundation that you have. And it's not pushy, and it's not pushing religion on them. It's just what I've gone through. If somebody were to say, hey, I'm so glad that I'm here today, and you would ask why, and you say, because I, had, I was sick, and I had cancer for years, and I went to a hospital, and when I was at the hospital, they cured me, and now I'm 100% um, cancer-free. That would be great. We can do the same thing because we were sick in our souls. And I went to a hospital, and Jesus made me 100% cancer-free. I was terminal. That's not pushing religion on somebody. 
that's leading them into a relationship. And that's where Jesus goes in this relationship. Um, He says in verse 21 through 24, and this is a response to the religion that this woman was trying to argue. It says, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. James, if you could come up. Jesus, He focuses His conversation time and time again on a relationship with the Father. That's what we have to keep bringing it back to. Bring it to an encounter with God. An encounter and a relationship with Him. That it's not so much about what, what, you've, what, what you can prove is right or wrong. It's about saying, yeah, I, I understand. You have things in your life and maybe I don't have all the answers. But what I do know is my life was changed. And your life can be changed too. And talk about the Father, but talk about Jesus. It's interesting, and if you don't know it, Jesus talks a whole lot about himself in the Bible, especially in the book of John. Verse 25 and 26, I, I love this part of the story because it's so powerful. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. Now imagine being in this woman's shoes. She's talking to the person that she's talking about. When he comes... He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am am he. The rest of her story, her life has changed. She goes into the city that she lives in and she wins the entire city for Jesus. Comes out and says, come meet a man who told me everything I did. And she doesn't say this, but I guarantee she was thinking this. And still loved me. You know, one of the main reasons and the main walls that people put up when you tell them about come to church, I've heard this so many times. If I go to church, the building will burn down. I've heard it. That is not logical. That is demonic. And it's something that the enemy will try and tell people, you are not good enough. But when we understand the grace and the goodness and the love of God, that none of us deserve it, that none of us should be able to come into this building and worship God. None of us are good enough for that. But grace of God, the unmerited favor of God is upon every single one of us. In the book of Romans 8.38 Paul speaking. Paul, a man who killed Christians, who fought against Jesus with everything that he had, with passion, with vigor, any and everything. This is, this is what he says, uh, Romans 8.28. And now we know that all things work for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. And, and he goes on and says, for I am convinced, in verse 38, for I am, I am persuaded. Now that word persuaded means that something has happened in his life that has changed his mind. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor, de- or, nor principalities nor powers, 
nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what Paul's saying here? And he loved me anyways. Because you and I were created. It says nothing can separate us from the love of God. No created thing. If I am created, that means I can't separate myself from the love of God. And Paul, a man who did so many terrible things and could have been tormented for his entire life. And according to this, if he was persuaded that nothing could separate him from the love of God, then at one point he thought things could separate him from the love of God. So he says, I have changed my mind. I have been proven wrong that nothing, not even myself, not even the bad things that I've done, can separate me from the love of God when I have a relationship with him. And that is what the world that we live in has to know. If you want to lead somebody to an encounter with Jesus Christ, bring them to a point where they know that it is not about what they can do, but what God has done. And they might still have issues in their life, and they might still be dealing with a lot of stuff in their life, but tell them they can come to this place and believe with everything that you believe in that Jesus can change them, because when the inside is transformed, the outside will conform. That's where we have to bring people. It's not about being right. It's not about argument. It's leading them to a place where they can encounter the love of a Savior that cares so much about them, that can wipe away every tear from their eye, every sin that they've ever committed. That's where we have to bring people. That is what Jesus did. That is what the Master did. He sought people out. He created opportunity, and he saw their lives changed forever. Would you pray with me?